0: Hello everyone and welcome back to the channel. Whether you are watching on YouTube or listening on a streaming service, this is Vocal Arts with Peter Barber. Just recently I had the great pleasure of chatting with Lisette Oropesa, who is a world-famous superstar opera singer and a wonderful human being. She has a huge audience on social media, so we talked a lot about that, a lot about the pros and cons of that, how you kind of want to structure your presence on social media, you know, just based on your personal preferences. What it's like to be an opera star, essentially, what it's like to be traveling all the time and performing in the world's greatest opera houses, like this one here, the Metropolitan Opera, one of the greatest houses in the world where Lisette is a regular. We talk about fitness, we talk about health, we talk about psychology and the pressures of being a singer. from you know, the young artist level all the way up to being a star. It's a really, it was a really, really interesting, cool, and fun conversation, but we did get pretty serious at times. I know you guys are going to love it, so please welcome the wonderful Lisette Oropesa. Okay. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for joining, whether you are watching on YouTube or listening on the various streaming platforms for the podcast. Today, we are here with Lisette Oropesa, and I'm actually going to pass it over to her to give a little elevator pitch as to who she is and what she does for a living.
1: Oh, hi, everybody. I'm Lisette Oropesa. I am an operatic soprano, and uh, I have been singing all over the world for the past almost 20 years. And I'm really looking forward to sharing little tidbits about my life with you all and the challenges that uh, come with this work and also the joys and the good things about it.
0: Amazing. We are excited to hear about all of that. I actually want to wind it back and just get like an overview of your your background and your actual training, like uh, yeah. kind of when you discovered opera and then, you know, where you did your undergrad and so on.
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm really blessed. My mom was an opera singer, was trained as an opera singer. Um, everybody in my family sings for generations, actually. And uh, so I have a bit of an advantage in that. I kind of grew up hearing music, classical music all the time. My mom also is a beautiful pianist. And uh, I played piano by ear and stuff. And I would imitate my mom. I would try to sing like her, making fun of her, actually. And uh, I, I grew up playing flute. And I did that for many, many years. And then when I went to college, I did an audition for the flute uh, faculty. But my mom kind of convinced me to do a voice audition, just with my natural voice, because I had been singing in church, I'd been singing at home, I was imitating my mom. I had developed my voice to an extent, and I sang for them uh, "O mio babbino caro," which is a really lovely young soprano aria. And uh, and they said, "Oh no, you have to sing." you have to study singing. No question. You absolutely have a gift. And your mom obviously has been kind of guiding you all throughout your life. And so I started to study voice uh, and I didn't give up the flute right away. Like I took some time to really do both, but eventually I had to choose one over the other. And I ended up choosing uh, choosing to sing because I mean, really, I fell in love with the art form. It's a really amazing, all encompassing um, thing because it's performance it's it's language, it's drama, it's acting. it's it's everything. It's really, really, really incredible. So I, yeah, that's kind of how I got my start. I went to University in Louisiana, Louisiana State University, and uh, I did the Met competition, and I won the Met competition when I was this when I was just about to graduate from my undergrad. And they invited me to New York to join the young artist program there, the Lindneman program, uh, which is a three year postgraduate, if you will, training program, all intensive, right at the Metropolitan Opera in New York City. And of course, I was not going to say no to that. So I moved to New York right after college. And that's uh, how I started.
0: That more- is
1: yeah, <laughs>
0: wild. So you went from basically planning to be a flute, some kind of flute performance or studying the flute to the Lindemann program in four years. Essentially?
1: Yeah, but that's why I say I had an advantage. My mom was a singer. So I had been listening to really great singing for a long time. It wasn't like I woke up at 18 and decided to become an opera singer. I had had this in my life, my whole life. I just didn't study it formally until college. But, you know, singers, I was given a big opportunity at a very young age. I know that that's very rare. I know that's very special, very unique, you know, but I had to make some changes early on in my professional life so that I could continue to uh, progress. And that's something if you want, we can talk about it. Uh, you know, because every singer has that, you might have a chance of one opportunity where, oh my God, all the doors open for you, but you really have to go through the doors yourself and you have to bring everything to the table. Otherwise those opportunities can get shut down really quickly.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, yeah, I mean, no, that's, that's great that you grew up in a household setting where it was kind of baked in by the time you kind of got ready to do the thing. Um, And it sounds like that was really helpful, which is, which is amazing. So, yeah. So as you were just saying, what are some of those challenges you faced kind of going into the spotlight as a relatively young singer?
1: Yeah. Well, um, before I address the challenges, I want to say another advantage that I had, which is that I'm bilingual because my family's Hispanic. My family's from Cuba. So I also grew up speaking Spanish. So this gave me an advantage when I went to school, to university that I picked up Italian very quickly. I picked up French very quickly because I had, I grew up in Louisiana. We took French class. I was interested in the French language. I picked it up faster. I know that that advantage of having played flute, studied an instrument for many years, having a mom who sang and introduced me to music very young, having a language background, all gave me things that I could fall back on as advantages. They were skill sets that I already had honed to in a certain extent by the time I got to college. Now, what are the challenges? What were the problems? What were the barriers? The first barrier, the first barrier was I'm just, I was very young. I was 21. So I hadn't had performance experience outside of college. I hadn't had um, any kind of theatrical training outside of college. I hadn't grown up in musical theater. I hadn't done a ton of plays in school. I was in band because I played flute. So I didn't do, um, I hadn't been in scenes and things like that, anything outside of university. So I didn't have a lot of stage experience. I was quite green. So that was one of my challenges. Another one of my challenges was that I was very overweight and for my voice type, one of the things that was often criticized, um, at that time, of about me was, you know, your weight is going to be a problem to your mm-hmm. career. Yeah, that was another issue that I had. And I was just overall an, an unhealthy, not a very healthy mm-hmm. person. It wasn't just that I was overweight. I didn't have a good diet. I didn't have an exercise regimen. All of that I had to work through and change so that I could become a healthier singer, so that I could become a better singer because a voice. Is right here in your body it's not something you pull out of an in, of a box or a case and put together it doesn't matter if you have a cold or not you know you have to be in good health in order to sing in order to do anything on stage yeah. um so that was something i really had to take into into account under control
0: fantastic and was that was this feedback from the opera world what because now you're you are a big advocate for fitness and health mm-hmm. and very well known as someone who is who is invested in in fitness and health Was it those early comments that kind of inspired you to take control of that part of your life?
1: It was a big part of it, you know, Peter, because at the time, um, I kind of, this is before, this is so this would be early 2000s. This is before H.D., before mm. HD, a lot of people like to say, oh, you know, the obsession with beauty and people being camera ready and opera started in, you know, 2010 and early 2000, mid early first decade of the 2000s because of HD, but I was being given this feedback from the late nineties and, you know, in early two thousands, when I was in, still in university, I was being given this feedback before, mm-hmm. uh, before the Met began their HD stuff. So because opera has been broadcast for decades, it's not like a new thing, you know, now, um, I was getting this feedback from doctors who would say, oh, you know, you're really young. You really shouldn't be overweight because it's going to give you problems with your liver. It's going to give you problems with, uh, female, intimate female issues. It's going to give you, um, problems with your blood sugar. It's going to give you problems with your heart. You have to get your diet under control and your health under control. So this is feedback that I had been getting from everybody from well-meaning friends to my own family, to doctors, to of course, directors and people I was auditioning for from even when I was in college. Um, I remember specifically a very hurtful comment that I had gotten from someone that we had to sing for in college. And I sang a wonderful audition for him. And it was like a mock audition thing. And he completely shut me down. He basically was like, I have no compliments for you. I'm going to burst your bubble. Are you ready to hear what I'm going to say? And I was like, and he just said, you need to lose weight. (laughs) Just like that. it was so horrible, wow. I was like, uh, and he was like, "I hope I didn't burst your bubble." But honestly, he's like, "You can't sing this repertoire looking like that." I can't even sing repertoire. I, my voice is correct for if I don't lose thirty pounds. And he was yelling it. And, and I was just remember being so hurt by the way it was delivered rather than the content, like you can tell a singer, you know, now your health is very important and your voice and your body are linked and your diet affects how you sing and how you feel and all these things. You can go about it that way, but he didn't do that. He's just a complete jerk about it. And so, and he wasn't the first or the last (laughs) to give Mm. me feedback like that, you know? So I think that was really the hardest thing about it. So yes, I'm an advocate for health and fitness now because it was my journey. And you know, I've, I don't, think that I go around trying to tell people you need to be thin in order to sing. Cause that's certainly not true. We know that, mm-hmm. but all I try to tell people is that this is feedback I got 20 years ago. It's made a huge difference in my life. I'm a healthier and happier singer, but everybody just needs to find their health balance, their work health, life balance, whatever way they can.
0: Yeah.
1: I really do believe that.
0: <clears throat> totally agreed. So what does your, Fitness routine look like these days. I'm sure it's a major challenge to have any kind of consistency when you're literally traveling all over the world. I'm also someone who has very much been big in fitness for a long time. It's what I, I was see that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> it's um,
0: it's it's what I was doing long before I cared about singing. It was all about sports before I got to college and started singing. Um, so how how have you kind of approached your fitness routine, and how do you what do you kind of aim for uh, when you're on the road? Do you, do you aim for the hotel gyms? Do you do you just try to do like bodyweight calisthenic kind of stuff? And then you weight train when you can find, you know, the requisite uh, resistance equipment. How do you approach that whole thing? Because that's something, you know, if I'm going to keep going into the operatic career, um, fitness is something that's always going to be a huge part of my life. And I want to get your take on it because you're you've been on the front lines.
1: Well, actually, I'd love to hear about your routine, Peter, if you wouldn't mind sharing, because it looks like you're someone that spends a lot of time lifting weights. I did. Yeah. Yeah, Do you feel that that affects you?
0: It did for a long time. I think at this point, I have figured out how to really know how to use the muscles of the diaphragm in the gym, which is one way, and then use them a totally different way when you're singing. And that took a long, long, long time, but I do feel confident. in it now I also do a lot of stretching. Like every day I'm stretching my neck and trapezius mm-hmm. and all my laryngeal muscles and my tongue multiple times a day before I go to bed, when I wake up before I have a practice session after a practice session. So this all, no matter what's going on in the rest of my, you know, the larger skeletal muscles, this mm-hmm. always feels relaxed. Um, And it it's, it's amazing. Actually, what I've noticed is just, you know, if I start a practice session and I'm singing and it feels tight, if I take five, 10 minutes and just do a full stretch, everything, the voice is like radically different yeah, and freer and more resonant and everything's easier. So that's been my solution is kind of learning how to use the muscles differently. Um, and then being sure to stretch all the time.
1: Wow. So are you, um, are you calisthenics weight training? Is that your primary, like an indoor kind of activity person, or are you more of an yeah. outdoor activity person? I,
0: I love both. I would hopefully when it cools down a little in Phoenix, I can get yeah. outside a little bit more now when it's 100,
1: 115 degrees. Oh my uh, God. I know. But
0: um, yeah, I mean, lifting has been my primary thing since I got, since I was a freshman in college and high school was much more sports oriented, but as soon as the competitive sports part of my life ended, I was like, time to get big. And mm. <laughs> so just started lifting a lot, eating a lot. And put on like pretty much all the size I have now in those first three to five years of training. Mm -hmm. And now I've, I've dialed it back some because other priorities have taken place. It's I'm no longer lifting two hours a day, every day of the week. That's just, I have other, other focuses now, you Uh know, but yeah, yeah, but resistance training with weights still is my primary form of exercise.
1: Bravo. Bravo. I'm really curious about this, Peter, because um, the reason I ask is because I have a feeling that my exercise regimen is quite different from yours. But what I think is interesting for all singers uh, is that everybody has to find what works for them, what they have time for, what they're interested in doing, what they can find themselves doing consistently. Mm -hmm. You know, um, I when I lived in New York and I had a gym in my building, I would go down to the gym several times a week because it was there and it was very convenient for me to go down. It was, I had no excuse to not go. So I would go to the gym and I weight trained. Absolutely. Because I believe I know in my heart consistently weight training is what gives you the most bang for your buck mm. overall, mm-hmm. when it comes to any, for anything at all, if you really had to choose between a lifetime of cardio and a lifetime of weight training, weight training is going to win in so many ways now, but cardio and a lot of people can say what they want about cardio. I, because I run, And that's my primary form of exercise and it's outdoors. I don't do it on the treadmill. If I can avoid it, I don't do it on the treadmill. Uh, Cardiovascular fitness is what takes over the majority of my fitness time because I don't always have access to a gym. I'm usually going from place to place. It doesn't require any equipment. It's free. It's outside. I like nature. I try to find a time of day where it's, I can go anytime I want. I don't have to worry about, Oh, the gym closes at eight on Sunday. You know, I don't have to deal with that now. I do believe that the results that each of us is going to get on our exercise is going to be different, isn't it? Like, so you might have to deal more with, you know, you need to stretch because you're using your upper body a lot and you have to really focus on form and things like that. Running too. I mean, you have to focus on form. You can't just run like an idiot. I mean, honestly, (laughs) (laughs) I run like an idiot all the time. I know, but, you know, especially because I really enjoy distance, you know, I like going Mm -hmm. for long for long mileage, but sometimes I just can't, I don't have the time. I don't have the, um, the place, the energy sometimes, I mean, because I'm traveling so much. So I really feel like the important thing for me that I try to maintain that's consistent is that I get outside almost every day of the week, if I can manage it, even if it's cold, even if it's hot, even if it's r- rainy, I try not to let, uh, I try not to m- let things be uh, shut me down and make excuses for me, because I know if you only go out, run when it's nice mm-hmm. and when it's pretty, and when it's the right temperature, you'll never go. <laughs> you have to, <laughs> you gotta go. Just make it work. And if you wear the right clothes, that's the thing. My suitcase is ninety percent running clothes. It's really funny. Like for everything, the windbreakers, you know, the right socks, the right hats. You have to have all that stuff. Otherwise, you really, you're always gonna have an excuse not to go. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's also made me stronger because it's made me more tolerant mm-hmm. of discomfort.
0: At some you know? point, at some point, it no longer really becomes a choice. It's just, it's just part of your routine. That's how I felt about training is like, if I have a day and I'm fully recovered and I'm doing a fitness program, it's not like, ah, oh, am I going to go to the, t- I'm going to the gym or I'm, I'm going to work out. That's just going to happen. And yes. fortunately, it's something I love. I mean, like you talked about earlier, you have to find something you can get fired up about. <laughs> Whether TV. it's running or whether it's playing yes. recreational basketball or whatever, for me, it's always been. Well, it, was, it was track in high school. I actually loved track. Ran short, short to middle distance was my oh, wow. was my specialty. And then when that was done, it was like lifting. Really enjoy lifting. Put the headphones <laughs> on. Put the put the phone on airplane or whatever, and just like be in the zone. Yeah for like an hour and focusing on it's another like great mindfulness thing to just be in the gym, yeah. just like really diligently focusing on form and controlling the mm-hmm. tempo of everything. So I find it's half like a mindfulness meditation exercise yes. and, a ha- and half like a physical exercise. Yeah, um, I feel the I,
1: same way. I think it's total mindfulness med- mindful mindfulness, mindfulness <laughs> meditation, movement meditation exercise. I don't listen to music. I used to at very first when I was first getting into it because I was awful. I am an awful runner. I'm just a stubborn runner, but I'm not actually a good one. (laughs) I'm just consistent, but I'm terrible. And when I first started and I had didn't have the fitness to even go, you know, five minutes without stopping, I had to use music to help me find a rhythm of some kind. But eventually I let that go and I don't listen to music because I really, as you, same way that you do, where you focus on your the movement and your body and being present at that time is just, uh, there's no replacement for it. Really. It's absolutely amazing. I wouldn't give it up for anything. Yeah. you know,
0: <laughs> I would love to piggyback off that about being present and being mindful mm-hmm. Yeah, in the career of opera mm-hmm. um, in myself and every young singer. I know there is like the chasing the carrot kind of aspect where you're looking for the bigger gig and you're trying to get into the right young artist programs and all this. And mm-hmm. I'm grateful that I found meditation a long time ago. So I find that I am able to be present more often than most people, mm. but opera with this way of you're always trying to level up, you're trying to win the competition. <laughs> I I have seen in colleagues of mine that it's difficult for them to just be be grateful for for the opportunities they have now mm. and be happy with the development, while also of course you know chasing those goals. And I'm wondering how how you've dealt with that as you have leveled up to the highest stage in opera at this point, performing in all the all the major opera houses.
1: Um, I think that's a really wonderful uh, question, Peter, and uh, something wonderful to think about because in being, I think when you meditate and when you work on, you know, breath work and all the things that you discover when you're being present and mindful. Um, and you kind of learn to let go of ego and things like that. Like when I, I actually did yoga for many years. Uh, I don't, I haven't stepped, stepped foot in a yoga studio in a long time, actually since the pandemic. And I haven't just gone back, but I practice yoga the other, the ten of the ideas of yoga that I hold on to all the time, which are about this being present and letting go of ego, not trying to feel like, Oh, uh, you know, not comparing yourself to, Oh, I can't do the pose as beautifully as this person can. Or I, I don't have the flexibility that that one does, or because that's what you find yourself doing in a yoga studio sometimes and in any, even in a gym. I think that actually deters people from going to the gym, uh, especially beginners, because they're embarrassed that they're not as fit or beautiful or Or toned or whatever, as fast as another person. It's the same thing that deters people from running a race. You know, I feel bad because I'm in the middle of the pack or I'm in the back of the pack. And that's a very, and so I think one thing that you're talking about in in meditation and probably in your mindfulness work that you work on letting go of is that ego that pulls you back from um, acknowledging where you are at the time and being able to then move forward. I think There's a balance in any person who's seeking success. There has to be a balance between knowing where you are and being honest with yourself and having the ambition and accepting that you have the ambition uh, to move forward and to grow and become your best self. Because there's no reason why you should feel like an arrogant jerk for wanting to succeed. Do you know what I'm saying? It's kind of like yeah, there's this definitely. balance there. Like you can be an arrogant jerk, you can also be a humble jerk or a humble. You know, you can also be
0: <laughs> the humble brag, yeah.
1: The humble brag <laughs> and never get anywhere because I mean, in in all truth, you you use the word competition, uh, and you're right. It is a very competitive business, and this is why people compare themselves to each other. But the problem is that we, you literally. Peter, you can't compare yourself with anyone. There's no mm. other singer that's exactly like you. No other singer that will bring the same exact things that you bring to the table. So what can you do? You can work on making your product, your what you present, because it is a product. If you if we look at it in a business way, your output, your artistic output, to make that as good as possible, make it as appealing as possible. It's the reason why I had to lose weight. One of the reasons why I had to lose weight, you know, not just for my health, but also because my product wasn't going to be as valuable as someone else's product who might have a similar voice type. And I didn't want to be shut down, overlooked and not even given a chance because I didn't match all of these certain factors that other, many other sopranos my age who were singing my repertoire had now, is it unfair? Of course it's unfair. I mean, but it's also the reality of the business. And I think it's one of the reasons why it's very easy to get sucked into negative aspects of it if you will because you are always looking around and going wow why does this person have this gig and how did that person land that land that program and how did she get this role and how Mm -hmm. did so and so win how did they beat me and you start to you start to really quickly become combative uh and that's it's i can't sit here and say oh just don't do that just don't think about everything just don't focus on everybody else it's very easy (laughs) to say that (laughs) but it's very difficult to do that truly and not beat up on yourself and start to think, well, I'm just terrible. Maybe I'm just no good. Maybe I'm just not a good singer, but you also don't want to be delusional and be like, I'm perfect. They just don't get me. You can't be that attitude either. You have to find the truth somewhere.
0: (laughs) Yeah. yeah. Well, this is a, this is a perfect segue into social media actually, because yeah, social media can certainly emphasize and amplify the comparison, especially when, so many people on social media. And I guess, I mean, for good reason, it's kind of how the app is used. It's more like a highlight reel of, of your life. It's not, it's not day to day. You're not live streaming all the time, everything you're doing. Right. Um, you want to show a cool kind of manicured look, but that certainly plays into someone sitting here on their phone. They're already comparing themselves. And then they see Jenny just won this competition. Oh, I didn't even get into that competition. I'm terrible. And it's even worse when it's just you and your phone, you don't even have People around support one of the really tough parts about social media. So yeah. you're big on social media. I've been involved in social media for a long time. I think it can be used in a good way if you know how to kind of interface with it. But <laughs> it, but it can also be terribly unhealthy for for some people. So how do you approach your social media? And how have you? Do you think you've been able to find a healthy balance where? you are on there and you're presenting your life to people in a relatively authentic way (laughs) and you don't find yourself comparing too much. Like how do you, how do you interface with all that? I mean, I would say, especially Instagram, I feel like that's where you're most uh, present.
1: Yeah. um, I certainly do have a wonderfully uh, large following on Instagram. And I uh, think that that's the, the one that I, interact with most frequently, I think it's the easiest for me. I, Facebook, we actually link our, my husband helps me a lot, by the way, my husband, Stephen is brilliant. And he really is the one that manages the majority of our social media output, but we do everything ourselves. We don't uh, hire out for any of that work. And there's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot of singers do need to hire out because it does take a lot of time, a lot of mm-hmm. planning, you know, especially if you want to actively comment and respond to people. Uh, you It takes time. You can't just sit down and do it in five minutes it really does as you know it takes time Mm -hmm. um so it can become a bit of a burden if you're if you've got other things taking up your time you know if you're trying to learn music and maybe you've got children or maybe you've got another you've got a family you have to look after you need to be present for you can't just be on your phone eight hours a day it's not (laughs) possible it'll and it's also as you said there's a there's an aspect to it that is risky to our mental health when you if you look at it in that way in seeing your friends posts and your colleagues posts and go, wow. And you start to compare yourself. That happens very easily. Mm -hmm. Now, um, for me, how do I maintain a healthy balance with it? Number one, as you said, authenticity. Yes. I'm not afraid to post pictures of myself with no makeup on. I'm not afraid to post pictures of myself, not, uh, looking glamorous. Uh, I post a very honest, I try to share a very honest, um, balance of my professional life and my, health and fitness life. But I try, I know, and I recognize that I don't want to confuse people with messaging because social media is messaging. It's a narrative you're creating for your brand. If you want to be super business and marketing about it, this is what you want people to, what people will see about you and will understand about you, what you do and how you spend your time and what you value and what's important to you. And so I also know that me posting pictures that don't engage people, that may, might mean something to me, but don't mean something to other people, doesn't really help my brand. So I don't post, and Stephen makes, is very clear about this sometimes, like, I'm not going to sit and post nine landscape pictures. <laughs> Even though I travel and I see beautiful landscapes and I love to hike, I, if I'm going to post a landscape picture, you're going to see me in it. Because you're going to see my relationship to this landscape rather than just me posting a picture of my breakfast everybody knows i'm vegan everybody knows i eat a plant-based diet do i post pictures of my breakfast every single day no because i'm not a vegan lifestyle blogger but if i were Mm. that would be my brand and that's what i would post now i do post pictures of my food frequently if i see a restaurant if we go to a restaurant that's vegan and we promote the restaurant by posting about them and tagging them and saying this food was great because I want to help the restaurant and because I want my friends who are seeking a vegan uh, alternative to know that this restaurant is there. Do you know what I'm saying? So like I yeah. use my social media in that way of, I know that it's a platform for promoting certain things. I try very hard and this is difficult, Peter. I try very hard not to get too uh, personal, political, mm-hmm. religious, uh, preachy, any kind of thing that, um, is extremely easy to take out of context and put that on social media. Because once again, I am not a, uh, it, it, my social media, I think 99% is for people looking for a professional link of mine of some kind of way. They want to find a performance. They want to know where I'm singing. They don't care about my political beliefs. That's not why they're search seeking me out. Now, if I were an actor or a huge celebrity, that might be different, but I'm not a big celebrity. <laughs> so I don't feel like the need to use my social media as a platform to promote anything in particular that has that is a social movement or a political movement. However, I know that it's also, you, you can't just stay silent on big issues. You really can't. Uh, And so a lot of times a lot of singers will use their platforms to talk about issues to bring things to light to talk about controversies. Uh, I think about Jamie Barton, for example, she used her Twitter a lot to bring forward issues, um, social issues that she felt very passionately about and that kind of became her Twitter brand because that's what Jamie used her Twitter for and Twitter is a messaging app. Did she promote her performances? Sure. But she used Twitter more than anything. I thought for a while there to really make strong statements about very specific things that were important to her. Mm -hmm. And I respect her tremendously for that. I haven't found, uh, and I have not used my social media for that, at least not to any, in any way that I would say is really a big, uh, a big portion of it, you know? Um, yeah, because it, I feel like it's private for
0: mm-hmm. me. Yeah. There's a very fine line there oh. as far as how much you want to share on any of those topics. Mm-hmm. Cause it's, if you, if you go over that line, then you'll immediately alienate people who disagree that's with true. you on such charged topics. So that's kind of the one, the, that's kind of like the main risk there is if, mm-hmm. you know, the, overwhelming majority are going to want to follow you because of your career as an opera singer right. and you don't want to eliminate all those fans because you have different religious beliefs than them which is a mm-hmm. silly thing it's silly right. it's 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 wild that we do live in a world where these subjects are that charged and we can't just all get along and be like you believe this and i believe this and that's great right but it's been so it's gotten so charged more and more and more recently yeah that it's like pressing the big red button every time you share about something like that. Mm-hmm. So you really have to toe that toe that line unless you just want to fully commit and just be like be These outspoken are my about something. You'd be outspoken about it, yeah.
1: yeah. and I think that there's it's great to do that. I feel like it's important if that's uh, you know, like I said, I can think of many singers that use the social media as an opportunity to make a statement about any topic that they feel close to Ryan McKinney does it. Joyce DiDonato does it. Uh, and there are a lot of singers that do this and it's not, and it's wonderful. I think it's fantastic. It's brave. You know, um, it's, it's, it takes a lot of guts to, to really go there and use your social media at for that purpose, because that is a tool, you know, to spread awareness about whatever mm-hmm. issue it is that you want to, that you want to talk about. Um, as you said, it does alienate people. That's very true. Particularly if you're a singer that maybe already has a controversy associated with them, it may alienate people. My bigger fear more than people being alienated because every one of us has people that hates us, but, but (laughs) my, my bigger fear is that 99% of the issues that I feel like are worth talking about on social media are not that simple to
0: Mm. just
1: make a post about, and that's where you stand. And that's the end of it. 99% of the issues that we have are issues that require dialogue, issues that require more information, more context, more understanding, more um, questions. I'm not qualified to make a statement on something that I'm not an expert on. I'm a social issue, I can have an opinion on a social issue, but even social issues a lot of times can be case by case. A lot of times. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, I have my general stances and I think in real life it, there, I'd much rather have conversations about things like this in person with people. And it's not even about so that I can assert my point of view. On the contrary, it's so that I can absorb other people's point of view. I'm more interested in absorbing other people's point of view about an issue so that I can better understand what else, how people feel about things, rather than me just saying, this is what's right. And there it is, that's the end. Mm-hmm. And so I don't want to use my, and, and so what ends up happening, Peter, as I'm sure you know, is that you open up a big, when you make a statement like that online, you open up a big can of worms where people are going back and forth, back and forth. And a lot of negativity gets sewn on your page comments start to fly in and out people start throwing in their opinions a lot of people aren't necessarily informed about the opi- about the issue maybe even you and it becomes this big hotbed of of uh engagement which is great for social media
0: <laughs> social
1: media loves it they want you to put your uninformed opinions online please do and yes. share them with all your friends get into our arguments with total strangers and i do not want my social media to do that i don't want my social media to feed that i don't because i for me personally because i'm a person that wants to, is more interested in absorbing other people's point of view than asserting my own i would rather not use social media for that because it will become it will become so energized into that that river flows very hard and fast on mm-hmm. social media as you know as you know it's more safe to be boring it really is
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> it is
0: it is shocking how comment sections bring the worst out in people i know it's so bad. rapidly i think i think a lot of it's because it if you see someone you see a, a name in a comment section it, it dehumanizes both sides so it it makes people feel like they can just scream the worst things at this at this username when they would never act that way in person at least i don't oh. think most people would
1: <laughs> absolutely not i think people are much braver on the braver <laughs> Ironically, uh, less, you know, they're more inclined to type something, you know, when they've got a computer screen and they never have to face you, Uh, whether it is something negative to say about a singer, you know, something that simple, which we get all the time, or a real issue, a real comment about a political issue or a political figure or maybe something that's going on in the world, anything, I think, but what ends up happening and aggravates me sometimes is that people like you're an artist, you need to take a stance on this or that issue. Now, you need to be very clear about where you stand on this or that issue, any issue. And the problem is, it's like, yeah, but artists, most of them, if they are, whether or not they have a stance on an issue, not everybody is an expert to the point that they can give a really informed point of view, you know, and they get asked about it all the time. And they might say like, well, I think this, you know, my ideal is that. And I, you know, maybe here's where I stand on it, but I'm not. It's not like set in stone. And I feel like because it's a conversation, it's a dialogue, it's a an if, but then it has a lot of that. And yeah. if you're, if you take a very hard stance on it by posting it online and pressing the red button, it becomes very like, this is my statement and that's it. There's no yeah. more to it.
0: And the Which trouble think, is yeah. it also, that's who you become to most people online yeah. because that like, like these charged subjects, they have the power. To just take the front row almost no matter what you've done as an artist it's like if you say if you if you come out with some controversial political statement then people who have been fans of you as an opera singer for a while Mm -hmm. might just disassociate that part and be like well she said this thing that i totally disagree with therefore i can't support support her art anymore
1: can't support her yeah i've had that even happen to me already and i feel like i've say very little and make very few (laughs) direct statements about things online i mean there are things that i feel like are just plain logical logical (laughs) points of view that i feel like nobody could possibly argue with that that i might say and then someone will be like how could you say this how could you think that and i'm like wait what (laughs) Everybody thinks that, you know what I mean? The sky is blue. I promise it's blue. People are like, but it isn't. And so that it's like, you, you know, it's like, you know what? I, I, you can't really say anything. It's like, so the question is, do you want to use your social media for that? And for some people, it's great. Yeah. Like actually some people open up topics on their social media all the time just for fun, just to open up a topic because they want conversation on their social media pages, what they want their page to be. And they do it on purpose. They might say, hey guys, I want to throw this topic. Let's have this conversation. What do you think about this? Or here's what I think, what do you all think? And they invite conversation and that's their social media platform. Larry does this, Larry Brownlee. We used to, I don't know if he still does it anymore, but on Facebook there for a while, he, whatever controversial topic of the day, whatever was the news story of the day, Larry would say like a basic statement of how he felt. And then he'd be like, what do you guys think? <clears throat> Engagement like crazy, wonderful discussion, respectful discussion. And that's what Larry did on Facebook a lot.
0: I was going to say, I bet those where you're inviting it are much healthier, more reasonable discussions than just saying the statement without inviting conversation, because then people go on in the attack mode.
1: Bravo. Well said. I think that's exactly right. I think Larry went about it brilliantly because he was able to kind of listen to other people's points of view, which is what I enjoy doing. Listen to what people think without being too like, well, this is what I think. And you know, and uh, letting people vent and air and engage, and uh, engage with one another, you know, mm-hmm. as fans of Larry because they yeah. love Larry, you know, and so it wasn't about Larry. It became about whatever that issue was, and I think that's fantastic. I think it's
0: definitely awesome. Let's yeah. shift gears. <laughs> um, I'm interested to hear what some of your most memorable slash fulfilling experiences have been as an opera singer.
1: Oh god, memorable and fulfilling. Everything's memorable and fulfilling. <laughs> I love everything. Everything has some memory even if it's a crappy memory. There's always something that comes back and you go, "Oh, I remember this." You know, um I mean, honestly, I I've been very fortunate. I I I ever since I started, you know, as a young artist, I've had incredibly wonderful people to work with. I have sung on wonderful stages of some beautiful roles. Uh, you know, I've gotten to record some albums, starting to record more of those, sing repertoire that I want. I think, can I tell you what my dream always was? And that I feel Wait. like I'm starting to to get to a point where I'm living it. My dream was always sing French repertoire in France, Italian repertoire in Italy german repertoire in germany or german speaking country and that was always kind of one of the things that i wanted to be able to say that i had done and doing french rep in france which i've done and doing italian repertoire in italy and you know singing for those audiences anytime i do that i have a little extra sense of gratitude Mm. because it's like i feel very especially because i'm american because i'm not french or italian you know i'm american i'm hispanic american i'm famous from cuba um but i i i feel a special sense of thank you for le- letting me sing your repertoire to you yeah. for you when that happens yeah i hope that answers your question somewhat
0: <laughs> that does i mean have you you've performed at scala haven't you yes so yes. how what was your experience like at scala here it's it can be, I hear that can be one of the most daunting performances, especially for non-Italian singers.
1: Oh, yes. Actually, <laughs> Italy in general is very is very daunting. Uh, I think Italy, Italian theaters, Italian audiences are particularly, even in the smaller theaters, they uh, are particularly uh, knowledgeable about their repertoire. They have had an incredible history about performers of their repertoire. And by their repertoire, I mean, you know, opera,
0: <laughs> opera <laughs> <Yes>. in general, <laughs> <Literally> opera, yeah, <laughs> uh,
1: and Italian composers, you know, and their language and, uh, you know, things that they wrote things that they, that is, is their cultural, uh, identity. Uh, and so I think for a non-Italian singer to sing there and be taken seriously is something that we all dream of. And of course it's something that is a great honor. Of course it comes with, you need a lot of training, I think, um, uh, To get to a point where it's acceptable you know and generally the times that i have sung there the best thing about it is that everybody knows the repertoire everybody Mm. in the orchestra knows all the words and they're mouthing along you can see the violinist mouthing along with Rigoletto. i mean it's just and they love it and they get it in a way that yes i'm sure other orchestras have this exact same A sense of pride of their repertoire but I have seen it more it it has touched me more moved me more in Italy than anywhere else yeah
0: that's very cool (laughs) do you find when you go to a gig in another country do you often have the opportunity to give yourself some cushion on either side so you get to really like, really travel, because I know that's a big draw for opera singers. It's like, you get to travel the world and sing. But you definitely, if you're, like, in the middle of a production, you're not really doing travel like you might imagine it, no. right? So, you, ha- I assume you have to bake in extra time that you don't have to be worrying about the rap or the performances or your voice or whatever. You can go have drinks on the beach, you know, somewhere and not worry about the, the Zitz Pro coming up. Do you try to do that? And are you able to do that as someone who is often traveling and performing?
1: Um, yes and no. Yes and no. And I'll tell you the main thing, Peter, the number one thing is when you get very, very busy, thankfully, uh, you might be going from gig to gig and you really mm-hmm. don't have that extra time to spend those extra three or four days. That's the first thing, time. I'm lucky that I'm to a point where I don't actually have a lot of time. And I literally have to like bake in the time, as you said, bake mm-hmm. it in and make it happen, whether or not like, Ugh. yes. <laughs> and I'm happy to be at that point. There was a long time where I was not at that point. And when that happened, yes, I spent a lot more time playing. Mm. <laughs> setting time You're like i gotta take an extra week and hang out in paris and hang out wherever uh, but the other thing is that it's expensive it's mm-hmm. expensive mm-hmm. um you know you as you know uh, and this is something i've actually been quite outspoken about i knew we we're talking about issues earlier and one of the things i've very outspoken about is that solo singers don't get paid to do anything but sing pretty much anywhere you might get rehearsal money but it's often roped into your performance money and you don't get it until the end of the engagement. So you could be there rehearsing for three and a half weeks on your own dime or six weeks on your own dime. And you flew yourself in and you'll get a reimbursement later. And then you get sick and you miss a show or you miss two shows or you miss three shows. And if you're lucky, you sing some, and then you wait and you get your money at the end. So who pays for that little vacation that you took at the beginning and the end you do out of your pocket, which is Mm. why a lot of singers have to book themselves to death because you're always waiting on your paycheck to come on your, you know, and it's not, it's not easy to, to negotiate for higher fees. It's not easy to negotiate for rehearsal money. Some places pay it and pay it in a timely manner. Of course, every house is different. Uh, But for a long time there, it was like, I guess like a per diem was like looped into your overall fee that you would get at the end. In American Mm. companies, America, you actually get your money more on time than you do in Europe. In Europe, oftentimes you have to wait sometimes a month, sometimes more to get, to get at everything, you know, and then you got to pay your agents out of that and you pay all your expenses out of that. And so it becomes expensive, Peter, to take time to enjoy all these great places that you get to go to. So what I try to do to Combat that is to make time every day for work and every day for rest and relaxation and fun. And I really do. That's why I love running. One of the number one reasons I like to run is because it forces me to go outside and see the city, whether I like it or not. Because I'm not just going to spend my time in the hotel room and in the theater and nowhere, and, and then it's dark and I haven't seen anything. You know what I'm saying? Like I, yeah. I, it's an excuse for me to get outside and get to know the town get to see the park, get to see the river, get to see the ocean, whatever it is that's there, that's special. Running puts me there. And it's, so it's kind of part of, it's like I get a little extra tick off for that. you know. Yeah. So yeah, it, it depends. If you have the money to do it, if you have the time to do it, great. <laughs> Try, yeah. but it's very hard to be a tourist. You can't really be a tourist when you're working.
0: No, you really can't. Can that's you? The, I feel like it would have to be, after the shows are done, if you have a gap before your next big engagement, which if you're really busy, probably don't have much of a gap.
1: You may not, your next you, engagement. yeah. Or you wanna get home or you you know, you know need to spend that time or you got maybe you just need to recover. You need to like rest your voice. And so you're like, I'm not gonna go out and party. I'm not gonna go sing karaoke. I have to rest my voice. I have another thing coming up or I have music. I have to practice, yep. I have to work on it. I don't have time to play, you know? Uh, it, everybody has to find that balance for themselves, you know? Yeah. You could just work less.
0: You could just work less. Well, I was about to ask, at, at this point in your career, when you're a very sought after singer, do you still feel like you need to say yes to things Yes. so that your relationship with those companies doesn't get hurt? That, that was a big, a big, a big, because I know young singers feel that way. They're like, if they get any opportunity, they're like, yes, absolutely. I'll do anything. I'll sing something yes. totally inappropriate for me. <laughs> Yeah, you know, just to get some yes. morsel of 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 money as well, especially young singers don't make hardly anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but- Even
1: famous singers don't make anything.
0: <laughs>
1: the more the more famous, I think the more busy and booked and famous you get, the the expenses of your life go up because you have to start paying. You have your manager. Sometimes you have two managers. You might have a PR person. You might have a social media website person. You're going to have to start paying for your pictures to get done more frequently. You might have to start paying for nicer apartments because you're staying in a more, you know, a fancier, more expensive city than a smaller city with maybe a less expensive, less fancy opera house. So you might have to start paying for more. Everything gets more and more expensive. You fly more frequently. That costs money. Everything goes up. So there's that. Mm. The other issue is that the general pressure of the level that you're main that you're having to keep is higher because everything is broadcast. Everything's a new production. Everything is being put on a streaming. Everything is live. Everything is you know, and, and so everybody sees it. <clears throat> and so you can't just get away with a um, a standard that's not excellent when you get to be a famous singer. And then there's less, there's pressure not to cancel. For famous singers who everybody's paying to go see and everybody's looking forward to this person. You can't just pull out cause you don't feel good. I mean, you can. But then people are like, people get very mad. People write to you. People post online. This person's sick. This person's losing their voice. This person didn't learn their music. This person's lazy. This person's whatever they want to make up, whatever mm -hmm. narrative they've decided. And so then you have to make a statement and you have to explain to the whole entire world why you need to pull out of something. Why I'm very sorry. Like I got the flu in May. I'm telling you, it was like such a huge deal. It made such a big deal. Lisette Oropesa pulls out of performances over the flu. Like, yes singer gets sick and pulls out of a performance man dog bites man i mean it's literally that yes i had like make a statement i had i felt i felt obligated and this is ridiculous but i felt obligated to post a picture of my flu test i did i didn't have to
0: that's wild
1: it because i felt like i couldn't just say i'm sick i'm sorry i can't sing especially as a
0: singer (laughs) a singer who I can only assume you've been extremely reliable your entire career, or you wouldn't have had your big career. So it's amazing that something like this would come up the flu very serious, especially for a singer, especially for a singer. It's not like you can just, you know, drink a bunch of coffee and like get through the performance because your voice is going to be, is going to be shot. It's different for a singer.
1: Exactly. Um, Wow. Exactly. And when you're singing big, big parts, You know, Mm -hmm. big roles. I mean, famous singers are singing bigger roles. There's more on you. Sometimes you don't even have a cover or somebody to go on for you. So the company is going to be like, please, you can't cancel. And if there's any way you can sing, if we can get you a shot, if we can get you to a doctor, you need to sing. Like I was, the day of the dress rehearsal, I was with 102 fever. I was dying. And they were like, please, can you do the dress rehearsal? I was like, I cannot get out of bed. I'm very, very sorry. I felt so, and this is not the theater's fault. It's just the way that it is when, I mean, things, they have a schedule they have to keep. It's not all about you. (laughs) Business. It's yes. The theater has to go on. The orchestra has to play. The chorus has to, like, they've got you, you, the, the show literally must go on. And so what happens is you get, you're in this little merry-go-round and it's going to go on without you. But if you're an important horsey in the merry-go-round, they really, really, really need you to get your shit together. Excuse my language. They really, really, really need you to be well for this performance, please. You know, and it becomes such a high pressure. It's so a singer's become completely neurotic. They become completely neurotic. Um,
0: yeah. So two things. One, yeah. cussing is perfectly allowed on this podcast. Okay. <laughs> so cuss all you want. Okay. Cuss like a sailor. Okay. And, and two, my next my next question was about that pressure getting bigger and bigger as your career gets bigger and bigger. Because there are people more and more and more suffering from anxiety oh, nowadays. Geez, yeah. Young singers. Good God. it's mm. Anxiety is something I got hit with about 10 years ago. That's actually when I learned how to meditate. And that's mm-hmm. when I got a handle on it. Um, meditation was my saving grace for like conquering anxiety. Amazing. Most oh, people have not found that. Yeah, I'd be, I'd be happy to, to dive into it. Um, but um, so many young singers deal with it. And I hear about people being just horribly nervous, like a week ahead of a show. I mean, just like crippling anxiety, like a week ahead of a show. And I'm like, if I felt like that, I would not be doing this career. Oh, yeah. I'll be doing something. And, and a lot of people feel that way, which is shocking to me. So what are some things you've done? What is some advice you have to young singers who might be feeling anxious about how to approach that part of their life, that aspect of their life as their careers get bigger? I mean, if it goes as they hope it goes, you know?
1: Thing is, I had anxiety about performance from even when I was a young singer, because actually young singers have a lot of pressure on them, don't they? For Mm -hmm. for competitions, for an audition, because you got one chance to nail the audition on December 12th at 9 a.m. You're going (laughs) to sing for these people and that's when they're going to hear you. They're not going to reschedule. You don't get another shot, you know, Uh, and maybe you've put in all your, you know, maybe you've saved up for three months from your other job that you have to get your plane ticket and your hotel to do this. So yes, the pressure is incredibly, incredibly high for young singers. Um, Famous singers have a similar, all singers, anybody really have a similar thing. I think when you get more and more famous, like I said, because people are, more people are depending on you to carry the show because your name is a big thing attached to it. And so they get more pressure to go on, even when they're not well. And I think this is actually really dangerous. Um, The difference between a young singer and a famous singer in that is that the young singer probably isn't singing a big, big role in a big, big house. They might be singing a smaller part. It's not as big a deal if they cancel as it is for the person singing, I don't know, Macbeth or Traviata or whatever Mm -hmm. big part that they're doing. So it's the stakes shift, but they're still high in the context of that singer's life. You know, like I said, when I was a young singer and even still, I sing every show like it's the most important show I've ever sung. Like it's the last show I'm ever going to sing. Like it might be, it it might be the first time anybody's ever heard me. And Mm -hmm. I don't want them to think that I'm terrible. I want them to think that I deserve to be there. And I used to sing like that. Even when I sang a teeny, teeny part, I would sing the exact same thing. I want you to think I deserve to be here. And I sing a big part. I want you to think I deserve to be here. (laughs) So but that is my fault, Peter. That's my, mm. my mindset, which is not good. My mindset is, this is the most important thing I've ever done. And so the pressure that I put on myself is high. Now, I've had singers. I can't tell you. I had the most hilarious conversation with a very, very famous tenor. I'm not going to say who he is. It's not a negative thing. But he basically said to me, he's like, why are you so like, stressed out? He's like, relax going to be great <laughs> now the context of what happened was i was singing a, a very important role in a very important house and i was getting so much shit from the conductor so much shit from the conductor and i felt like i could not manage it i was like trying to keep from having a heart attack and a breakdown after every single rehearsal mm. Mm. and this very famous tenor wasn't getting any shit from anybody He was just doing whatever, he'd come to work, he'd do his thing and then he'd leave and everything was fine. And he got zero, zero notes, zero criticism, zero anything, just whatever, yes, sir, whatever you want. And I was losing my mind because I felt like everything I did was being ripped apart. And he's like, what's that? He's patting me on the back, you're great. He okay. needs to not stress so much. You need, it's not that big of a deal. You know, focus on the focus on your family, focus on the beautiful weather, focus on being here, focus on all these other good things. Don't focus on everything else. Don't focus on the negative. And I was like, I, but no, uh, 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 is this not a huge deal to you? Like, do you not care? Is this not the biggest deal? And it wasn't for him. Or he managed to have a, a better outlook, which was, this is not hmm. life and death. It's not yeah. life and death. It's going to be okay. Now I had to learn from him because I, I my tendency is an, is maybe destructive to go into something like it's the most important thing I've ever done. Now, can that lead to success? Yes. Can that lead to failure? Yes. You know, I, ah, you know another what one do of you do? The,
0: it's another one <laughs> of the balances you have to strike, right? Cause you, you want it to feel important because for me that certainly helps me kind of get in the zone and elevate my performance. But you also do need to be relaxed and trust that it will be okay. In the end like yes. the world won't actually end. And the worst thing probably won't happen.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I know. I'm but again that's a really it.
0: tough it's a really tough balance to strike to be so jazzed because you want to perform like it's your last performance ever it might be Mm -hmm. it might be but you also it's tough it's another tough balance everything's a balance that's this whole conversation yeah the balance and everything
1: well and I think that if you I don't know the audience doesn't know how what you're going through that's one thing I do try to tell singers sometimes and usually it's in the context of Don't make excuses when we're in a don't make excuses dialogue with a singer, because singers uh, can and do make excuses all the time for failures Mm -hmm. Uh, in the sense that, like, for example. I, if I don't sing well on, you know, Thursday at 9.00 AM, I'm going to justify it to myself by saying, well, it was Thursday, yesterday was Wednesday and Wednesday is the hardest day of the week. And so it was Thursday 9.00 AM. And I didn't really sleep that well last night. And, you know, the conductor was a jerk to me and, you know, the stress doesn't fit me right. These shoes are uncomfortable and I don't have the right shade of foundation. So, you know what? I am not going to sing my best today. Very easy to do that, to justify mm-hmm. every failure that you, have. but And so when I'm having this conversation, whether it's me talking like that, which is is all the time or other singers talking like this, then I say to them, I say to them, but the audience doesn't know and the audience doesn't care. The audience doesn't know and the audience doesn't care. If you had a fight with your colleague, if the conductor was giving you shit, if the corset's too tight, if they don't know, if you had a cold and the flu and 104 fever two days ago, they still expect you to sing like Maria Callas on her greatest day.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Every time you open your mouth. And that's why the pressure, if you think of, at least if you assume that about the audience, because sometimes they do act like that, they do say things like that. They do post things like that. They share that with you. Well, I heard Sills and I heard Sutherland and I heard, and yes. that is the standard yes. that I expect to hear from every <clears> single <throat> singer at every moment then of course you're going to feel like every performance you give is the most important ever. Mm -hmm. But if I try to like, let that go and say, you know what, and be more like this tenor, who's like, just enjoy your family, enjoy (laughs) the weather. It's not the end of the world. It's not a big deal. Don't worry about those, those people.
0: Yeah. There's, there is a nugget of truth from that tenor there where it's just like, it is if you get something I've been working on a lot, 2023, my main thing has been focusing on gratitude actively working on gratitude and it is a muscle that you have to flex like if you start yeah if you start getting mm-hmm. angry about something you just immediately pivot to something you can be grateful for and there's always things to be grateful for and there's there's and i'm still pretty awful at it when it comes to singing like <laughs> if i have to step on stage with a really bad vocal day it is tough to be grateful because you're just like i'm gonna go out there and i'm gonna sound like shit and the audience is gonna think i'm shit and i'm gonna think i'm shit
1: hmm <laughs>
0: But gratitude can be a very, very powerful tool for 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 cutting through some of these things because for most people, if you look at your life, there are always things to be to be truly grateful for.
1: Yeah.
0: I, I have found that useful. It's been something I've been working on a lot this year in particular.
1: That's great. <laughs> That's great. That's beautiful and wonderful. And so you're it's gonna help you so much, Peter. And I hope that you can pass on that messaging as much as you can to any person that you, that you feel needs to hear that, that it's just, you know, it's okay. That's essentially what the center was telling me. I thought he was being dismissive, but what he was trying to tell me to do was and that's because I heard it wrong. What he was really saying was what you're saying, which is just be grateful, be grateful for the important things. Mm-hmm. And if you do that, you won't have so much anxiety. Cause that's what this conversation was supposed to be about, right? Anxiety. Yeah. And how do we deal <laughs> hey. with it? Ah!
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, it is interesting how it shifts because you can, you can put just as much pressure on yourself as a young singer with. Not not as much to lose really as you can, you know. You, you can put that pressure on yourself, and you know, make it equal to someone who who naturally might feel the pressure of stepping on stage at the Met or something. You can do that to yourself. Oh yeah, as a young singer, and you're right. It is the here's your audition time. These people are going to know in the first ten seconds if they want to. Hire you or not, and that is that is pressure there. Yes, that that really is pressure. You just have to give it your best. (laughs) That's right.
1: Well, and I think that one thing I do try to share with young singers is that when you feel like there's a reason to be nervous for anything, which there always is, try to fall back on your preparation, which is why discipline is so important. If you Mm -hmm. know that you have practice something a hundred million times you know your words you know what you're saying you know what you're meaning you know what you're supposed to be thinking all those things that you know you want to come put across uh you can fall back on that on your discipline and on your preparation and that really helps combat nervousness it's a lot harder to be nervous when you've practiced something enough but when you've when you're doing something that's like kind of new Oh, and so there's like, you know, maybe you're not hundred percent secure on this or that. And it has potential to make you nervous, anxious, uh, freaked out about something then. Yeah. Then maybe you could next time (laughs) prepare better so that that doesn't come up again for you, you know? Um, and a lot of times it's stuff that you don't have control over, which is what's scary when it's like a note that you sometimes get. And sometimes don't Mm. a phrase that you sometimes nail Mm. and sometimes don't in one breath or whatever, all those things that you're like, crap, you know, I'm, I hope I nail this. I do sometimes, but not always, you know, then it's technical work that you need to keep going back to. And that's the work. That's the job.
0: (laughs) I will say for me, it is. My anxiety before performance is 100% based on preparation. 100%. I could be singing for my grandma in the living room or I could be singing in front of Maestro Mocketsaurus at AVA. <sighs> and the nerves will be what they'll be based on how well prepared I am. Period.
1: Yeah. Yes, and I, I
0: hear about a lot of young singers, and maybe this is true at your level too. Maybe. That cram. will just cram last minute to learn something. And I, that just terrifies <laughs> me. I'm like, give me... (laughs) Give me a year and I'll have this role so well prepared. You won't believe it. You will never regret hiring me if you give me some time. Otherwise, I might do it. I might go on and put on a show, but I'll be nervous and I will not enjoy any of it. Yes, It won't be as good, period.
1: No, I'm exactly the same. Actually, and that's another thing that starts to happen when you start getting very popular. Everybody wants you to debut a new part. Um, every, every offer I get now for a job is a new role. And I'm like, I'm looking at my manager. He's like, we need to accept this, right? We need to accept this. And it's like six new roles in a season. And I'm like, do you know how long it takes me to learn a new part? mm -hmm. I don't, I can't, I can't just the same way that you're saying, Peter, I cannot just cram it. Like it's not possible. I does my Mm -hmm. nightmare come true of being pushed out to say something. I barely know. I would literally rather do anything. I would literally rather do anything else that yeah. <laughs> that is the most scary <laughs> scary thing now can i can i bs my way through stuff that i know i can make work because i have a certain skill set that can compensate for the majority of it yes but that's hard that's mm-hmm. very scary and very hard you have to have a lot of experience to bank on it's kind of like if i've run 25 marathons could i run a marathon i've never been to that place before probably because i run Mm -hmm. a lot of marathons but i'm still gonna be like oh i don't know where the hills are where are the hills oh you mean they're the whole time oh (laughs) yes you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. like that's kind of one of those things whereas i'd rather just say you know what i prepared one marathon and all it was was hills and i know how to run a hilly marathon Mm -hmm. in fact i'm gonna go out there and nail it i'd rather do that
0: you know what i'm saying then bank on definitely i mean i am very much like whenever I'm studying a role, and I'm I'm actually learning two new roles right now. I'm I'm covering <gasps> these two bass roles in the world premiere of Frankenstein at Arizona Opera, uh, which is a really cool show, by the way, very very cool. Wow! Um, so I'm learning these two roles now, and for me, how it always goes is I study, 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 study. I'm a very very disciplined person, and I'll be studying for a while, and I'll be like, I don't know any of this. Like I haven't memorized <laughs> a syllable. But then like at some point it just all settles. Yes. That's how it works for yes. me. But there has to be that time window in there. If the time, if it hasn't settled yet, mm-hmm. I'll just question every entrance, every oh. note. Then all of a sudden it's like, dude, you know the role. You got it. But yeah. until that point, it's like, you don't know anything.
1: You don't <laughs> know anything. Stu-
0: have you even studied this? Yes.
1: yes. <laughs> no, I completely, I, I learned the same way, but because I, I'm very similar, I'm also a very disciplined practicer. And I believe in practice efficiency. I really, really, really do. I know there is practice that is gonna help me and there's practice that doesn't do a thing. And I know where I am in practice of when I can tell when I'm memorized and when I'm still not. And I'm very hard on myself about that. Like I will, I will go keep going back to it. Cause I don't want to show up and still be kind of learning it when we're trying to block it. That's a nightmare for me. Mm-hmm. I can't, I have to be off book. I have to be really ready to go. Otherwise I feel like, Oh, like I'm never going to get it. You know, even though there are a lot of singers that do that they show up to the rehearsals and they don't hardly know the part. They are just, Oh, I'll learn it on my feet. I'm like, Learned all my feet are learning to drive on the highway, and you've never <laughs> pulled out of a parking lot. Like I just, I can't.
0: Ugh, so no way, absolutely no, no way. That that was actually. I want to ask you about that, and then we'll move on to some fan questions, and then we'll okay. wrap it up. We're okay. We are.
1: I know we, it's it's
0: been zooming, but it's been it's, a great. It's chat. my fault.
1: I'm no, a chatty Kathy. No, it's
0: been a great conversation. <laughs> um, that was my next question was about what your practicing looks like these days because if you're singing all the time that means you're going to be rehearsing a lot which means you're probably going to be coaching a lot where do you fit in the practice time and how do you structure it
1: uh okay so generally if it's a part i've never sung before i try to start a little bit of of preliminary work on the role one year in advance If I've never sung the role, I have zero real context. I might've listened to the opera one or two times, but I like to look at the music and get a preliminary outlook a year out. Uh, And then I'll work on it for a few weeks and then put it away. And I do it on my own. I I almost never work with a coach. Reason Mm. being, I don't want that poor coach to hear how slow I am at learning it and think (laughs) that I'm not smart and think that I can't figure it out for myself. Like I'll... (laughs) I really try to do the majority of the legwork on my own mm-hmm. with my little tick, 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 whatever I have, whatever I have available to me. Uh, and I try to do brain work before I start singing it. So I don't necessarily practice by literally singing phrase by phrase repeatedly because that tires out my voice. Mm-hmm. So I would rather just speak the text, speak the rhythms, that kind of thing, which is super boring, but, and takes forever and it's tedious. Mm-hmm. Uh, And then when I get to a point where I feel like I've got the text going, then I'll write down the text. I will literally just sit there and write it. Mm -hmm,
0: mm -hmm.
1: And if I know it's memorized, it'll just, I know what's next. Cause I'll memorize the melody really fast. I'm very, that I can actually memorize pretty quick. Text is what's a little bit harder which is why I think learning the languages and speaking the languages as much as you can is extremely helpful, Peter, because you'll memorize twice as fast. You won't have to look up every other word. You'll know the diction. You won't have to ask somebody. And then I find where the problems are. Where are the problems? Where's the part that is gonna be a problem? And then I work, I go from there. So it takes me, yeah, anywhere from a year out to four months. Four months out, I try to really start the, like, I'm only working on this Mm -hmm. consistently. Yeah, four months
0: okay i'd say and and if possible <laughs> and vocally like vocal exercises mm-hmm. vocal training mm-hmm. are there still are there things in your voice that you're actively trying to improve yeah and is that something Hello? you're working on like every day oh yeah
1: okay. oh no i'm perfect i open my mouth and everything's just perfect <laughs> i never have to practice i never have to like criticize my own singing it's perfect no child <laughs> oh my god no i tell you one thing that's funny i every role you sing and i'm sure this will happen to you as it happens the same way it happens to a soprano every role you sing leaves a little imprint on your instrument Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and it could be a good one and then when you go to sing something else you're going to go oh evidence of the role i've just sung is here Now I'm finding it, whether it's, wow, listen to how awesome and clean my passaggio is. Oh, listen, how easy I can approach this one. note. listen, how beautiful that vowel is. Now could be great things could also be a problem of, oh my God, why does my voice not want to sit low? Why is it always wanting to do this? Like what is going on? (laughs) And so every single role is going to have a little leftover, a little residue, and you have to work with that and clean it up or, or, or incorporate it. If you can, in a good way into whatever's next of your, of your, uh, your schedule. So that going from roll to roll, to roll, to roll, if they're really different, like I went from a high roll one time to a really low roll to a really high roll again, i was just like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. This is very hard for me. I don't, mm-hmm. you, you get used to things that you put them in your voice. That's the hardest bit. Really? That's the hardest bit. Now I'm trying to remember your original question about this. all. Your original question was
0: if you're going into do vocal exercises.
1: Ah, right.
0: Like a like a vocal training session. What does that What does that look like?
1: That's what's gonna. That's what it's gonna be. That's okay. where you're gonna find the the mm. flexibility. The flexibility that you either have lost a little bit of, or you've come. You know, it's kind of like you're gonna realize you've been you've been neglecting leg day for like Mm-mm. a year.
0: No, not <laughs> You will be sore for a month the next All time right. you bar- the next time you barbell squat. Right. <laughs>
1: And not because you're not fit, you're perfectly fit. In fact, Mm -hmm. your legs might look gorgeous, Mm -hmm. but when you're going to be like, what the hell, my butt, you know? And so that's kind of (laughs) very similar with the voice because you really can't keep an even, the voice, no role is even. No role is ever even. Every role sits a little high, sits a little low, sits a little in the middle, never goes up, never goes down, or goes, it's always gonna put you because it is a routine. It's like doing a literally a routine on a on a uh, gymnastics floor, and that's all. Now, even if you vocalize to warm up, you do your warm up, whatever you're going to do. The warm up that's going to be appropriate for your routine at that time for what you're being paid to do. No gymnast is going to be doing every single event to a perfectly, exactly even level, unless you're Simone Biles. I mean, I, and even <laughs> that, she probably spends all day long in the gym, and sure, sure, she has events events that are stronger than others. I mean, it's just. life. So we have to do the same exact. This is why I think vocal technique, it's not even just about, can I use my voice to go up? Can I use my voice to go down? Yes. But I'm being paid to do a specific routine perfectly execute Mm -hmm. this routine. So yeah, that's where for me, most of the voice practices is recovering from something I've just sung and putting it into the next thing I need to sing.
0: It is amazing how much more comfortable, roles tend to feel by the end of the run of shows, mm-hmm. assuming you've stayed vocally healthy and you're well-rested yeah. and hydrated and all these things, but definitely that's true. You pick up a new role. i remember I picked up roles before and I'm just like, this just, none of this feels good. <laughs> like I remember I had to, so I was, I'm, I'm a bass. I go by bass baritone mostly for marketing bass. but there were three lower bases at AVA when I was there two years ago. And so instead lower of singing, than you? Lower than me. Mm-hmm. So instead okay. of singing Colline or or Benoit, Alcindoro and Bohem, I sang Uh Oh,
1: and
0: that was I still feel like that is very much it's range wise. It's not that crazy, but it very much sits in like lyric baritone land. And I remember when I first started rehearsing that I was like this, this is just going to be a train wreck. This is, this is just, it's, it's going to go, but it's barely going to go. And lo and behold, I think on show number four or five, I was like, ah, I think I sound okay on this now. And then the runs runs are over and maybe I'll never do it again. But it was just one of those things where when I picked it up, it did anything but fit like a glove. It was like square peg round hole. And by the end of it, I was like, I can actually sing this role. It just took six weeks to get it in my voice.
1: Bingo. <laughs> you have, if, if you think of your instrument and a lot of people get into this mindset of talking about fa and voice mm-hmm. type, and mm-hmm. you say your voice is this type. And so you have to sing this way. And this is all you can do. But the problem is no matter what your voice type is, Peter roles, as you said, are going to sit maybe a little high, maybe a little low, and you're going to be cast to sing that maybe it's a little high for what's easy for you but that doesn't mean that it's not accessible right but you have to build the build your fitness up there in a way essentially you have to build it. it's not saying that you can't it's just not necessarily you're not naturally sitting up there can you build it of course maybe if it's within reason yes you know and i've had the same issue (laughs) yeah yeah
0: I'm sure. No, I mean exactly a year later, just a few months ago, I sang Don Giovanni, which really sits in probably a pretty similar place as Shonard, and it felt incredible. I was like, "This is ah. the role. This is the role I was meant to sing."
1: Maybe it's, because you'd had that experience of Shonard putting you there and knowing where you need how you need to maneuver, definitely Giovanni's felt easier.
0: A year earlier, Daviani would not have been what it was a few months ago. I will say that. It's mm-hmm. <laughs> actually quite proud of where it. Where it got to. But a year before, I think it would have been pretty much like a bass trying to sing an aria that's a little little it's again, it's not the range, but it's it sits in a place that's it's perfect for baritones and you know.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's a real thing. Tessitura is a real thing. Yes. People look at extremes of a role all the time. Well, how high does it go? Well, how low oh, it has one B flat. Who cares if it has 10 B flats or no B. It has to do with where the role sits the majority of the time and if that part of your voice is not comfortable for you to be sitting all the time coming in and out of it easily and beautifully without breaks without having to make a lot of manufacturing because i think mm-hmm. that happens a lot with men women have to deal with this too but i think men have to deal with it much more is that if a role sits where your breaks are mm-hmm. you and you're always having to manufacture a way above it and a way in and out of it it is can oh. be an absolute misery fest for you yes. it's so uncomfortable you know women hardly ever have to we either unless mezzos have to do with it, low voice i think low voices deal with it a lot more mm. than higher voices i it seems to me that they're mm. they're always navigating that passaggio the break the lower passaggio for women the chest to head yeah. break for mezzos it can be a freaking nightmare trying mm-hmm. to really to feel comfortable in that break it, you know, but also yeah, but just where's the tessitura? Where am I sitting all the time? In the break or above the break? Or below mm-hmm. the break? Where? Where? And you have to know that before you accept something. Otherwise, you're really, you're going to end up having to do what you did, which is take six weeks to get it yeah. going and feeling comfortable.
0: Yep, absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's move into some fan questions. Oh, my God. Uh, I give, so every time I have a guest on, I I let my hey do you know patreon have you heard of patreon
1: yeah yeah i have a guy that i follow i have one person that i give money to
0: amazing it's the best (laughs) thing in the world and so i let some the 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 top like four or five tiers on my patreon ask questions to the guests
1: oh that's nice
0: so here's a few this is from Lori. this is actually a very long statement and there's some questions in here so just gonna okay. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read it in Lori's words. Okay. I was very interested in your Bel Canto Aria album and wondered how it was done. Also, I listened to a Zarzuela on your YouTube channel, which is a favorite genre of mine. And I'm jealous that I shall not see your Spanish slash French recital. Will you add videos from that recital to your channel? Finally, I am interested in your self-description as a musical athlete. We've already talked about this some, an area in which I think you and Mr. Barber are simpaticos. Very true. It would interest me if you can explore this idea and talk about its influence in your performance uh so we we covered the we covered the musical athlete part of that but um mm-hmm. yeah i guess tell us a little bit about the process of putting out that bel canto aria album
1: yeah so when i had an opportunity to record uh an album which was actually i have, I have a contract to record six albums three recital discs and three opera discs and one of the projects that I wanted to do as a, as a recital disc was an Aria album, but I knew I wanted it to be Bel Canto, but I also love singing in French. It's my favorite language to sing in. So I was like, how can I get both things that I want on the same album? And nobody gets mad. And it's all like, everybody gets what they want. And I was like, this is perfect. I'll just do Rossini and Donizetti in French. I looked for Bellini in French and there wasn't any that I could find. Apparently there might be some extremely rare translations of some Bellini operas in French. But from what I understand, the the Donizetti and Rossini repertoire that's appropriate for me, uh, there was enough to make an album there. So I was like, this is perfect. That's how that came into being. That was just a concept that I had that I thought was going to be a way to marry the two things that I like. And the thing with the solo disc, the Mozart album that I have of concert arias was not my idea that was proposed to me by the ensemble and that became my first solo disc even though I love mozart more than life I didn't select to do uh this album but I picked the arias for it because I knew what I was capable there are a lot of mozart arias that are absolutely not that I cannot sing absolutely not so I had to like you know research that but yeah every album I'm grateful that I've gotten to choose the rep, and for the my third <clears throat> solo disc is Saraswala, Saraswala Arias. So Amazing. yeah, mix and match.
0: I yes. have a I have a question <laughs> based on the uh, on recording classical music. Mm-hmm. Do they do classical albums perform well? Do they perform no. well on streaming? And does the money ever get made back by whoever is fronting it for? the recording sessions or hiring the orchestras and cause that's a whole, that's a lot of money. It takes a lot of money to make a good album.
1: It does take a lot of money. Do you want the answer that is based on my experience or the answer that's based on what I've heard about things? Because it's a, it's a mix Peter. I think mm. the first problem is, finding and it's is just a big stack of problems first you have to find somebody who's willing to pay for it uh mm. as you said and a record company in general is not making all of their money on selling recital discs or selling classical discs unless you are a highly marketable classical artist that has generally a huge record you know, like repertoire already like justly bartoli or andrea bocelli mm. who sells a lot of classical records so you can't um you can't necessarily bank on the new ingenue soprano or tenor or whatever being a big hit. So the record company takes a risk on this person, but they're not always going to be wanting to pay to make the orchestra, you know, book everything and do it. So sometimes they will. uh, And then you make, if you're lucky, they can, they have to promote the disc. They have to put the disc in the hands of people, which is harder and harder to do. Uh, And then sometimes artists pay for it themselves I know artists that have helped pay themselves money out of their pockets to record their own albums sure. with big, with big companies, with big record labels. It's not about, uh, you know, record labels have money, but they're very careful about where they put it. You know, it's not that simple. So actually getting a record deal is extremely difficult mm-hmm. and not simple. And then selling the albums, you know, um, there's a technique to that, you know? I mean, you can't just wait for people to come knocking on the door to buy the album. You have to, like, advertise. You have to put the album in a, the visibility of the audience, the public that's going to buy it. You can't just, like, sell it at a gas station. You have to sell it at the theater. You have to sell it in festivals. You have to put it in front of people who are going to be interested, people who are already fans of this artist. So it's, uh, it's not an easy thing to do. Do they make money? Not much. hmm certainly not what they did once maybe they made more money several decades ago they certainly don't anymore you know so we have to be more innovative about how we sell them (laughs) yeah Yeah.
0: thank you for sharing all that no problem okay this is from jan kites dan in australia i would be be interested to know if you encounter inequalities and conditions for female versus male leading roles is that a thing in the op world as it is in, say, elite sports and senior management positions in some corporate roles? At least in my country, that's a thing. Although through media exposure, it is decreasing. I may not be phrasing that well, so feel free to edit.
1: <laughs> um, there are absolutely inequalities in this and every industry. I think the main issue with the inequality in our industry, Peter, is that there are far more leading roles written for men than, than leading roles written for women. There's a statistical fact that I actually mm-hmm. looked up
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> a few years ago that of all the most performed operas, there tend to be more leading male parts to cast a soloist in a male singing part. Um, but there are far more female singers in the, industry than there Mm -hmm. are male singers. So what ends up happening is that we get this disbalance of women have to compete for far fewer parts. So they have to become much more demanding on what they you know women just have to be harder more compete more literally compete more with the numbers it's a mm-hmm. numbers game mm-hmm. and men can mm-hmm. uh get away with more because there are more parts and they aren't as many guys so it's kind of like you know i'm sure every choir had this problem anybody that ever sang in choir there were mm-hmm. a lot more girls trying out to be in choir than there were guys and so all the guys got in even if they weren't that good yep. and the girls had to be like perfect and. Yep. that's it. That's an inequality, but it's a statistical reality about our business. So I mean, um, yeah. I now are there inequalities as to like pay and stuff? Yeah, of course. What do you think this is? Yeah. What do you think this is? Do you think <laughs> do you think this is this is this this business is ex- and the problem also with that in this business is that nobody talks about the industry standards for anything because there might be industry standards and then there are star star privileges and certain Mm. privileges that people get that are just because that if you want that singer you got to pay this rate or that rate uh and so uh, there are a lot of inequalities you might you might have a violetta making a fraction of what you're paying the Germain pair to sing traviata i've been her crazy A few times where I wasn't making as much as the baritone and it's not because I wasn't a talented soprano, but it's just because that baritone is more famous. They demand more money. You want the baritone, even if it's to sing Germont Père. he, this is his fee. And so fees have like a hierarchy and that's just performance fees. I mean, there are other things involved. Um, There are managers that have certain pull that other managers don't have. There are people with record deals, people with Rolex, involvement, people with, um, uh, God knows what I I'm sure that there are more things that happen and go on behind closed doors conversations that I don't know about that my manager has and that everybody's manager has, and none of it ever gets talked about in our business. A lot of it's very hush hush and secretive. Like I would never ask a singer how much they're being paid to sing something ever. You just don't do it.
0: Yeah.
1: You just don't do it because the times I have, I've done it twice once was with a really close friend. And he told me, and it broke my heart a little bit. Mm. Uh, And another time was with somebody that told me what they were being paid for something. And I also broke my heart, made me very angry. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to stop asking questions because I don't want to know the answer. I'm just going to focus on what I need to do and myself and what I know that I can handle and I can manage. And the inequalities are there. And I don't, I I, I hate to say, I almost don't even know how to fight them
0: Mm. to an extent. Well again thank you for thank you for sharing. Um this is from Lydia Grindato who is a third year soprano at ABA one of my one of my dear dear friends. Uh and she's wonderful and amazing and going to be a superstar. Um
1: uh, Lydia is,
0: Lydia, Lydia G- Grindato
1: Grindato okay. Yeah,
0: perfect. Um she asks what is your main source of inspiration?
1: Oh girl. <laughs> lydia <laughs> i don't know
0: she's asking the deep question here
1: that's a deep question i don't i, I need what to think like that day, tenor right? one gets me up every day i need to be like that tenor and say the important things in life you know family and mm-hmm. beautiful things and being grateful i'm learning Boom. from Gratitude. you. being grateful I am grateful. I'm looking outside. I'm on vacation. I'm looking outside and I'm grateful more than anything to be here. And it's because of my job that I can be here. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, yeah, I'm grateful.
0: Do you love performing?
1: Yeah, I do.
0: You have to, right. I mean, to be, to be, for me, that's always been, I think probably for most people, that's where the, the juice is. In this career, if it was all translating scores, I would not be. I would not be an opera singer. But yeah. you do that, and then you get on stage, really well prepared, in a cool costume, and you are like, "This is the shit." <laughs> <laughs> so cool. So this keeps you coming back, right? Because it's so much work up front to do a run of shows. Fortunately, it seems like the if you get to the major theaters, they'll do more shows. You know, for example, in like on undergrad production you'll do like one performance and obviously the prep right. is it's all it's all a different level but no, but that's true even if you do a run of 10 shows that's mm-hmm. still there's so much more prep than there is performing so i mean for yes. me it's just been like the the, per, the performing part is so cool and so special especially as an opera singer it's unamplified it's like a it's like a raw kind of thing mm-hmm. it's like a primal kind of thing almost you're up there like really letting it rip that's always been it for me so
1: I think that's <laughs> wonderful. I, I, I feel similar for me performance. You're so right. There's so much more prep, isn't there? It's oh, yeah. all prep. And if you don't love the prep part, and you only love the performance part, it's hard to really make this a career because you have to make friends with the prep. You have to like Mm -hmm. find ways to love the prep and find it to where the prep is efficient. So you don't have to like spend every waking hour in a library. But for some people, the prep is everything. I know people who love the research Mm. part and the preparation part. And I actually really do love the prep. I love the prep. In fact, I wish I had more time just to prep because the performance is very like, okay, this is the one time this is it. Let's do it once, nonstop, perfect from beginning to end. Well, <laughs> I I wish, you know, and <laughs> what I what I love about performance is that it is organic and unfiltered. As you said, it's unamplified. It's it's once and it's over. There's no mm-hmm. way to capture it. Mm-mm. That's it, you know, and it's amazing, but it's like over too soon. <laughs> Yeah. It's over too soon. Yeah. You know.
0: That's I think yeah. you're you're right that you need to at least be friends with the prep. At least be yes. friends with it. I mean, for me performing is I enjoy it much more than the prep, but <laughs> the prep the prep is okay. It's okay and especially Ugh. especially if I'm excited about the role. Like I actually yeah. like I enjoyed prepping Giovanni. Like That's I was nice. I'd, I'd be reading recits and like laughing cuz I they're just perfect. It's, it's incredible. So like, that's right. I enjoyed that whole process, but I think it it does take a certain role for me to really love it. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's like I can. It's like enjoyed parts of it, but
1: I know. Oh, can we get to the fun part?
0: <laughs> yeah, we get to know, the fun part. Yeah.
1: Once you've done that prep for Giovanni, now you won't have to do that level of prep ever again. Like it's yeah. It. And yeah. so every time you prep it again, will be less and less of the nitty-gritty kind of like clunking things and memorizing and all that you know
0: unless you get asked to do six new roles a year
1: do you know what Miss Oropesa (laughs) said to that she said in your dreams nah in your dreams (laughs) where's my time off to learn all these you know how hard these don't learn themselves yeah they do not learn themselves oh my god I wish I could like download them into my neck but I can't you know it's not the matrix I do not know (laughs) kung fu
0: not yet (laughs) (laughs) All right. One more question. There are actually a bunch that came in, but we'll, uh, uh, I just wrote down a few. I usually I pick and choose. This is from Holly Slinkard. So she asks, what is your vocal and mental prep before performances? We have already talked vocally, but I think mental, like day of performance. How do you get your head in the game?
1: Uh, I sleep as much as possible before I have tried. I have had to take in a new, stronger discipline about vocal rest before a, an exceedingly heavy schedule, which I'm finding more and more, uh, I get fatigued um, and I'm not able to turn over you know, a day-to-day kind of grind. So it's important that I sleep and rest my voice. Uh, I give myself 12 hours of vocal silence somewhere, a big, strong chunk of 12 hours. And then, uh, and I try to have a normal day. I try to wake up and have an, ha- an exercise. I try to wake up and have a decent meal and I have to plan my meal to where it's not too close to the performance. It's like three hours before, but it's something that's slow digesting, but it will give me energy for later. Uh, I hydrate, I drink a lot of tea. I mean, it's kind of like, you know, all the basic, super boring singer things. Performance day is the most boring day. Until the performance, then it's great. Before the performance, it's pretty like, like, I, you know, I'm not going to go out and like, do something really fun and exciting like go mm-hmm. to the beach and run a mountain, run up and down the mountain. And like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it'll yeah. be calm. You don't want
0: to, you don't cool. want to, you don't want to switch gears too much on performance day. Cause you're used to <sighs> performing and singing with like your normal day so you kind of want that to be the same on a performance day but what about in the dressing room like oh 20 minutes till showtime are you getting jacked up are you listening to dubstep no i'm probably meditating
1: no i'm probably fixing my lipstick (laughs) 20 minutes before there's people coming in and out and talking to me and giving me notes. And I'm probably warming up and trying to make sure that my voice is sitting where it needs to sit. I'm probably relooking, rethinking about staging. If there's anything I'm going over notes, I'm already by 20 minutes before I'm no, literally if I'm not fixing my lipstick, I'm already like in the thinking about the performance. Yeah. I'm not dubsteping. Uh, dubstepping. I am not anywhere else <laughs> other than other than there. I can't. I already two hours before I'm already having to kind of be there. Mm-hmm. I can't uh shift over. I'm not gonna play Sudoku and like no, I, you know, I I really have to already be ready. Yeah. That's terrible. I probably shouldn't do that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Stress uh, myself out. <laughs> I'm just personally a big get and I think this comes down to. The security in knowing the part really well. I will never look over text or music before I go on stage. I won't run through words in my head. I will just get I will get amped up and get so excited about the performance and then go backstage and then get into character.
1: You don't look at text and music before you go on Not stage. At all. I do it even if I've sung the role 50 times. Nope. A little bit. Like I like the score. I need the score there so I can like touch it and like make sure that it's like what I'm the, am I singing the right piece? I definitely, yes,
0: I I'll bring them. I'll bring the music. I'll just in case there's a crisis, but I won't, I, I can't remember the last time I like looked at it last time. Oh god. It'll be like in my backpack just in case. But
1: Oh god. I go through <laughs> I go through all the hard parts. I sing all <laughs> the hard phrases. Oh, absolutely. You should see me backstage for Gilda. I've sung Gilda 55 times. You should see me at least 55 times. You should see me backstage for Gilda singing all the hard parts before I go out to sing Gilda like an idiot. <laughs> I probably should not do that. I should probably do what you do and not <clears throat> sing anything and just go out there and just sing it cuz it's going to be fine cuz I've sung it. <laughs> A million times. Oh my God.
0: That's what I try. I mean, I really, I try to trust myself. I try to trust the prep.
1: Bravo. That's very good. I don't trust anything. I do not trust myself. I don't trust the, even the prep can betray you, Peter.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, see, the thing is, if I'm, what would cause me to panic is if I'm looking over something or running through something right before and I forget a word.
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm like,
0: Deviania.
1: A lot. what
0: what is it what is it then check the score and then i'm panicking yeah. on stage as opposed oh. to like let's go giovanni well, what know? if that happened
1: on what if that happens on stage <laughs> Stupid, awesome. uh, like what are you gonna do
0: honestly i'll trust myself to make some make up some italian
1: oh oh my god that's like a nightmare for me no i you know what i i think that's a great process if it works for you Please don't screw it up. Don't let any of the anxiety monsters come by. Don't let them knock on the door. Don't let, you know, I that's good. That means that you're not a self-saboteur. That's Mm -hmm. really good.
0: The only the only time I get anxious is probably if I'm in really bad voice. And I just worry about how it's sounding. It's never I've never I've never worried about getting through the role like making it to the end of the show, but it's just like, this is just going to be dog shit. And I don't want mm. it to be dog shit.
1: <laughs> if I'm in, if I'm in bad voice or I'm not all the way a hundred percent there, which I'm never happy with anything. Like I, I think I've been in like excellent voice five out of 10 performances of my, I would say of anything. That's what I, I, that's
0: what I hear. You, you cannot, you cannot expect to be career days every day. No. All right.
1: No, but you really, you have to, yes, the, the scary and the hard part and the part that makes you strong is saying, okay, I'm not in great voice. So I know how to work around it mm-hmm. because I have great, I rely on my technique. I mm-hmm. know I can do this. I know I can cut this corner here. I know I can cut this off there. I know I can redo this there and not be mad at yourself because I had, I dealt with that early on a lot, which was like, I, used to open my mouth and it was perfect every time no matter what time of day it was and then it get, I got to a point where that was no longer true that sounds really egotistical but it's uh, when you, you when you're younger you just snap back faster you just are more fresh all the time because you're younger put some miles on your voice and tell me if you're going to be fresh and perfect and gorgeous every single time you open your mouth it's not going to happen anymore you're going to have to start really warming up and really mm-hmm. Getting yourself lined up for every single part and like, oh, and accepting where your voice is that day. Very hard to let go of the ego that mm-hmm. makes you go, but I'm perfect. You're not perfect.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: You're not. So, but the audience doesn't know that. No. The audience doesn't know that. In fact, the more you can give them in the performance that is authentic, real, where you are in the moment, and the more, re- the more like, uh, what's the word? Honest.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You can be that, in the end, will convince an audience member and bring them to your side more than your perfect, fresh, perfect singing of "Vieni alla finestra." You can mm-hmm. literally squawk "Vieni alla finestra," but if you are the most believable Giovanni they've ever seen, they will not know that you sang the whole thing off key. Mm-hmm. They won't. Absolutely
0: true. Absolutely true. <laughs> Well, this has been wonderful and uh, expressing gratitude. Very grateful that you were willing to uh, give up nearly two hours of your oh, vacay yes.
1: to, okay. have, to
0: have this chat. So That's very okay. appreciative. Thank I, th- you. I think people will find a lot of value in it. And uh, thank you. Yeah. We'll be in touch about, about uh, sharing and posting and stuff. Like I said, That's anticipated true. somewhere third or fourth week of October. Okay. The plan.
1: Thank you. That sounds like fun.
0: We can connect on Instagram and I can, I'll tag you when I, when I share and everything.
1: Okay, Peter, that sounds good. Thank you very much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. And I'm very, um, I don't want to say proud of you, but I'm like, good job pat (laughs) on the back for all (laughs) of the success that you've had on social media and everything. I know it's not easy to do and you're, that's really, really awesome. I see your YouTube gold thing back there.
0: Yes. My, uh, silver play button. Your
1: silver play button. Well done. That's where that's it's going for
0: now. I I just got my desk and chair, and I'll set it up over there. But I was like, oh, it's got to be in the, it's got to be in the interview. So there it, in the the there it is on the kitchen. That's there it is in the kitchen counter. <laughs>
1: that's great. That's fantastic. Congrats. <laughs> that's not easy, and that's amazing. So well done. That's Thank really, you, really great.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for your time. You are a gem, and I will, will we will be in touch.
1: Thank you, Peter. Okay. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>